Could it be that up in heaven God is sitting on his throne Anticipating another sinner Will soon become his own Years of wasted living And years of toil and strife Are just about to be over As he receives the gift of life Go sound the horn Strike up the choir A sinner is saved Saved from the fire No more in darkness He received my Son All heaven rejoices That's the value of one The Holy Spirit has been working To soften up a heart All he needs is a willing servant To simply do his part Can you imagine up in heaven The joy there'll be that day When a sinner bows his head to pray Can't you hear the Father say Go sound the horn Strike up the choir A sinner is saved Saved from the fire No more in darkness He received my son All heaven rejoices That's the value of one Start construction on his mansion There on Hallelujah Street He doesn't know yet what is waiting When the Savior he will meet He'll meet Go sound the horn Strike up the choir A sinner is saved Saved from the fire No more in darkness He received my Son All heaven rejoices That's the value of one All heaven rejoices That's the value of one That's a good song, isn't it? I like that. Fellas, yeah, we can use you. Come on, take this down for me, would you? All right, good. We're back in our study again. Uh, where's that uh, ad at? Where's, it, where's that stuff at anyway? Okay. Brother Steve, you got it up there? Okay, good. We're giving these guys just a minute to get this handled. Again, we had a, a great time last night, and I really enjoyed that. And uh, thank you, brother. And uh, they, these guys are going to have a hard time. I mean, I it's going to be like walking you know, through a the gauntlet as I walk back and forth with that camera back there. You know, if somebody's trying to watch it on live stream, good luck. They'll hear a voice. They won't see me because I'll be ducking, <laughs> you know. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, once again deal with our great miscalculations and mistakes. And uh, we got a few more weeks of this. Uh, um, and I, I started to... Um, put a couple of them together for today, and I, as I went along, I thought, there's no way in the world we're going to get to all that. 
with this cold weather and stuff. I want to get you out of here really early tonight. And so I thought we better just stick with one tonight, okay? So great miscalculations and mistakes. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, for whatsoever things were written afore, aforetime were written for our learning, <clears throat> that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And again, we always say it every week. We just want to remind everyone again, our goal here in this uh, particular series is to try to learn from the mistakes of others. You know, the Bible says there's some things that were written and given to us in the past, outlined and uh, ultimately preserved in the Word of God for us so that we can avoid some of the same pitfalls. And so we want to learn from the miscalculations and great mistakes of gone by uh, Christians and other uh, uh, godly men and women. So we want to do, let them pay the price instead of us. Amen. And we talked about Eve and Cain and Lot and Abraham. We learned a number of different things along the way. Uh, we touched on Aaron and Korah and Moses. Another time when it says Moses made his mistake was that he let his anger get the best of him and he miscalculated how far his anger would take him. We talked about a number of others like Jephthah who made the mistake of speaking before he thought and it cost him greatly. He said, think before you speak. Well, that's a good lesson to learn. So Jehoshaphat's great mistake was joining with the wicked. Jonah, of course, his great mistake was that he ran from God and he miscalculated God's reach. Can't get away from the Lord, amen? That's good, isn't it? Israel made the mistake of removing the ancient landmarks and miscalculated the price of doing so. And tonight, we want to continue and we want to deal with Judas. We want to look at Judas tonight for just a few moments. In the book of Matthew, we're going to kick things off, chapter 26, verse 14 through 16. If I could have somebody that would read that for me tonight, that'd be good. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Well, help me with that. Did I see a hand? Yeah, go ahead, Mark, if you would, please. All right, we'll get back to that in just a moment. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll continue. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, just for the opportunity that we have to gather here tonight. Thank you for the prayer and, Lord, just for the presentation of song. Lord, for everything else that you've permitted us to fellowship one with another. But, Lord, tonight now as we gather around your word, we want to glean from your word. We want to grow as a result. We want to have or take away something, Lord, that, will, that we can apply to our lives and ultimately... Uh, Father, practice in our lives. Uh, Lord, we love you and we need you. There's no good to know the Bible if we don't put it into practice. So help us tonight, Lord, to do both. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Judas Iscariot, of course, is typically remembered for what? Betraying the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's obvious and we all remember that. We can't, be, can't forget it. He was one of the 12 disciples. He lived with the Lord. He followed after the Lord Jesus Christ for at least three, three and a half years. We know that he witnessed Jesus' ministry. The fact is, is that he spent three years traveling and living with the Lord. And man, I mean, he had a chance to see how he handled people, how he dealt with circumstances and situations. I mean, Judas had every opportunity to see it firsthand. He was, he was at ground zero. He was where the rubber meets the road. He was right there with the Lord. He heard Jesus' teachings. I mean, he was there uh, uh, <clears throat> on, uh, at the... Um, 
um, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount and had the opportunity to hear that firsthand. He probably had a front row seat. And boy, I tell you what, he was just uh, heard the teachings of Christ, whether it was in a group or whether it was in even just that small group setting with just the disciples and the Lord Jesus. I mean, Judas had an opportunity to truly hear the teachings of the Lord. Can you imagine literally listening to Christ share the word of God? He is the word of God. Can you imagine that? You know, we as preachers uh, really just do the best we can with what God's given us. And the fact is, is that we can't even come close to, to expressing or communicating the Word of God the way Jesus Himself, who is the Word, could do. What an amazing, amazing opportunity that would have been. And then there's Judas, right on the front row. He saw his many miracles. Judas was there when he, when he healed the lepers. He was there when he uh, healed the, the lame and the blind, the halt. He, he was there when all of that took place. He saw it firsthand. You know, he was able to see uh, Peter's mother-in-law raised up and then begin serving. And, and he had every opportunity to see Jesus at his very best. And uh, here's Judas now. We, we approach Judas and we say, what do you remember about Judas? Well, it's not that he witnessed Jesus' ministry. It's not really that he heard Jesus' teachings. It's not even that he saw many miracles. Instead, he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a sad commentary, isn't it? Judas was the treasurer for the group, and he used his trusted position to steal from the group. Again, he had the bag, the Bible says. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But we know that he was the treasurer. John chapter 12, verse 6 says, This, is, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Again, we know that uh, originally, uh, you know, here's someone taking care of Jesus and, you know, uh, taking that precious ointment and anointing the Lord Jesus Christ. And Judas is all upset and says, man, we, you could have sold that ointment for a lot of money and given it to the poor. And uh, he didn't say that really because he cared about Christ. The Bible tells us he said that because he was a thief and because he's the one that controlled the money bag. He was the one that had the bank account. He's the one that withdrew the money. He's the one that had the gold. And boy, he didn't want to give it away. He was stealing it along the way. He was a thief, the Bible says. Judas, again, was a thief who would go on to betray Jesus for money. Isn't that interesting? And over there in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 14 through 16, the Bible says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they coveted it with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. He'd go on to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Isn't that something? What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. I mean, they'd been after Jesus Christ, obviously. They weren't real appreciative of his message. He was elevating himself ultimately before the three years had ended. And uh, they were very, very concerned. I mean, concerned why? Because their jobs were at stake. Concerned why? Because their reputation was at stake. I mean, when you really look at it, Jesus Christ opposed everything that they stood for. And boy, they resented that, and they did not appreciate it in the least. And so anyway, they sought to kill him, and Judas steps in on the scene and says, Listen, what will you give me, and I'll deliver him. And they coveted with him for 30 pieces of silver. They entered into an agreement. A contract. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Now, Jesus wasn't taken by surprise here. Jesus, from the very beginning, he knew exactly what Judas Iscariot would do. He understood that. He knew that. 
Isn't it interesting how he would even permit that to take place? I mean, to think that he knew that Judas would betray him, and yet he allowed or permitted him in his presence, and he allowed him to travel with him. And the Bible says in John 6, 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He knew, he knew that he had a, a thief among him. He knew that Judas, who held the bag, was really a selfish, self-centered person. He understood that he was a devil, that he would follow through and literally perform the work and the deeds of the devil himself. He knew all that. At the Last Supper, Jesus predicted his betrayal, and he identified the betrayer. He actually pointed him out. It's interesting to note how it was received. It says, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, I'm scratching my head, not because I'm itching, but because I was trying to make a point. Lord, is it I? Is it I? I mean, isn't that amazing? I, I tell you what, I, I think I need to preach a message, is it I? I think I need to preach a message on that. You want to know why? I appreciate the fact that they said, could it be me? When you don't think it could be you, that's when there's a problem. But nonetheless, he answered and said, now again, I don't think anybody else had Judas' heart because he'll ask the same question here. And he answered and said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written unto him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. Do you know what happens? Nobody even, nobody even really remembers. Nobody even recognizes it. It's interesting, isn't it? From that point on, there's no turning back for Judas. John 13, 27 says, And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Jesus had been praying in the garden. And of course, after approach, being approached by his disciples, or approaching his disciples for the third time, he hears the patter of steps, soldiers and others coming his way. And the Bible says in Matthew 26, 47, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves, from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign saying, What was that sign before we looked any further? A what? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And so anyway, the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master. And kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? I wonder how that affected him. I wonder how that made Judas feel at that very moment. You say, well, I had the devil in him. It didn't matter. I don't know. I just wonder. I mean, I think there's reasons why Jesus says everything he says. I believe that, that in this particular case, you know, the Bible talks about being kind to those that are your enemies. It's like casting coals of fire on their head and all of that stuff, you know. 
And I, I think sometimes, here he is, he says, friend, wherefore art thou come? I got to believe that burned to the heart of Judas. I hope it did. Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Judas would recognize that he had, what he had done and what he had lost. But the damage was already done and no amount of sorry could fix it. Sad, isn't it? Jesus Christ has been taken captive. He's headed to Calvary. He dies on a cross. Judas feeling pretty upset, pretty bad. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So he brings that money back that he had so coveted after saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. Do whatever you want. That's your business. It's no longer our business. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. It's not a very good end to the story, is it? It's not a very good end. So what are some lessons that we learn from Judas then? I mean, we want to figure out some things. We want to understand maybe we can avoid some problems. So what can we avoid? Number one, betrayers are not easily spotted. You know, that's what we learn. It's one thing we learn. Betrayers are not easily spotted. They look just like you and me. Judas blended right in. He was a disciple. He was so trusted by the others that he was given the bag, that he was trusted with the very finances, the money that came in. They had no idea whatsoever that this was the one devil, that this was the betrayer. They didn't understand that. They didn't recognize that. Even at the supper, when they start out, is it I? Is it I? And he basically says, okay, I'm going to dip this sop, and the one I give it to, he's the one. He dips the sop, hands it right over to Judas, and then in another case, he even says, thou hast said, right there it is, black and white, plain as day. And they're all like, well, maybe he had to take care of some business. He left a little earlier than the rest of us. He's taking care of a few things. They could not see it. They could not figure it out. Judas did such a good job at playing the part. Betrayers are not easily spotted. You ever been fooled by somebody? You know, you ever been fooled? I mean, we've all been fooled. And listen, let's just be honest a little bit. Let's just really shake it off a little bit. Take the mass off for just a minute. The truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a little bit of betrayal in all of us. You know, we like to pretend that we're the perfect Christian, that we have no problems or no issues, that we're consistent constantly, that we don't really ever have any ups or downs, that we're always straight across the board. We're true blue. We don't make mistakes kind of like some people make mistakes, that, you know, we, we, we aren't as phony or fake as so many other people are. At least we, at least we, when we start saying things like at least we. Right, come on. We got, that's, that's when we better realize that maybe we might even have a little betrayal in our heart and no one else may even have a clue of that. They don't even know that. But we know it if we'll be honest with ourselves. I think one of the dangerous places to be in our lives is when we can look at other people and somehow believe that they all would do well to measure up to us. That, that's a problem. 
When we can't see our own faults, when we look at Judas and we can point our finger at old Judas and say, you betrayer, you filthy, rotten, dirty scoundrel. When probably there are three pointing back at us. Oh, maybe not to the degree that he did. We're not selling Christ for 30 pieces of silver. We're not trying to put him on a cross. We believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love him and we've accepted him and received him as our Savior. And yet, just maybe... Number two, most of the time, mankind betrays God for far less than one might imagine. Okay, now, again, we're trying to learn something. Um, In Hebrew culture, 30 pieces of silver was not a lot of money, really. It wasn't an extravagant amount. In fact, it was the exact price paid to the master of a slave if and when a slave was gored by an ox. So if a slave was gored by an ox, then 30 pieces of silver were, was the price. So in Exodus 21, 32, we read that. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. So in Judas' case, 30 pieces of silver, uh, I mean, in Judas' case, it was the price of a slave that he sold Jesus for. Isn't that something? The price of a gored slave is what he received to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of the time, mankind betrays God for far less than one might imagine. We're talking about how maybe betrayers are not easily spotted. But then we think, okay, well... What have been some of the prices that people have sold God out for? I mean, what what are some of the things we've sold God out for? Could it be a little bit of maybe money? Money. We want to make some more money. We want to earn some more money. We want to enter in maybe even into a, a deal that's not necessarily on the up and up. we possibly struggle or want something that is not biblical or scriptural. And so in order to do that, we step outside of the norm and well, what's norm for a Christian and instead sell the Lord down the river all because of a need in our life or something we want. And we don't look at it like Judas and we don't look at it like we're betraying. But in reality, after everything Christ has done for us, isn't it a betrayal when we're not faithful, committed, and devoted to Him? Isn't that a betrayal? I mean, if you have a good wife or a good husband, and even if you have a bad one, I guess, <laughs> biblically, but, but let's just say you had a good one. All right? Hopefully you do. And you're not faithful to that person, that's a betrayal. That's a betrayal. And, you know, if you're, you're young people or you're, you're, you're kids and you've got parents that love you and they're trying to provide for you and then you'll turn around and after they've done all those things for you, you, you won't obey them. You'll end up going your own direction, doing your own thing. Well, that's a betrayal of your... Of, 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 that's just a betrayal. And all I'm saying is, is that when you think about it, think about our hearts and where we're at sometimes. And so Judas teaches us a couple things along the way. Betrayers are not easily spotted. Most of the time, mankind betrays God for far less than one might imagine. I mean, it's not a matter of do you want to be a millionaire? 
reject God. Turn your back on your Savior. It's usually, do you want a little overtime? Do you want a girlfriend or a boyfriend? Do you, you want a specific job or a career? You, do you want to uh, go to parties? You want to drink alcohol? You want to get involved in drugs and immorality? That's usually what it is. That's what causes us to take that step away from God and sell Him out. That's usually what it is. It's never the big stuff usually. Rarely is it, oh, you can be a, you know, have a $20 million contract playing pro football and have all the, 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 the immorality you want and have all the, the cars and the houses and the materialistic things you want. You can have this unbelievable worldly lifestyle if you'll sell God out. No, it's usually something simple and usually inexpensive. In reality, it's, we're selling them out for nothing. Okay. Number three, we learn from Judas that the love of money is still the root of all evil. Isn't that something? Yeah, we forget that. We do forget that. You know, we forget it. That the love of money is still the root of all evil. In 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Again, notice they coveted after. They wanted it. They longed for it. They, that, that, that was their, their focus. They were, they were really... Sens- and, and by the way, you know, let, let's put it this way. And, and we, we mix this up a little bit too. We take the money issue and we say, okay, coveting after is just wanting something somebody else has. I think coveting after sometimes can be what I have and I'm not willing to give it when God asks for it. Because it's really God's. So in a sense, you're coveting what's not yours anyway. If God asks for it, it's no longer yours. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's you or if it's your money or if it's your time. If God has asked for it, it is now His. And if you're not willing to give it up, you're coveting after it. And you know what? The fact is is that the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, And, and He says it, I don't. And, you know, a lot of times I say money's a, a very touchy subject in churches. But the reality is, is that it's the, one of the most important, most paramount aspects of life. If there is one area that has messed up more people in this room, it, it probably is money at some point in your life. You didn't know how to handle it. You know how to deal with it. You may have made bad decisions and finances. You found yourself under the, behind the eight ball, so to speak, because of a, a purchase that you shouldn't have made or something like that. Money has messed us up. So the love of money is still the root of all evil. We learned that. Think about Judas. Here he is, a thief. He's, he's got the bag. He makes sure it's right there. He sleeps with it at night. You know what I'm saying? He, can, uh, hey, can I... Um, can I... Um, uh, see the bag real quick, Judas? No. Wonder why not? Well, Jesus put me in charge of it. I know, but can, can I take a look at it? I just want to see what our finances look like. Uh, well, uh, you, you know, if Jesus wants me to show you, he'll have to tell me himself. You think maybe Judas didn't want him to look at the bag because they'd have caught him stealing? We've got to be careful. Sometimes we hold the bag. 
Maybe it's our finances in our home as a husband or a wife, and we don't want the other to know what we're doing with it. Because we know they wouldn't be happy with what we're doing with our finances. Maybe it's that phone that we have. And the wife says, can I use your phone? And you think, I don't want you using my phone because you may see something you don't want to see. You know, you know where I'm going with that. Listen, I mean, it's something we have to be careful about. You know, we just have to think it through. You know, and again, you know, if, if there's areas in our lives where we're struggling or there's areas we're dealing with, then fine, but deal with it. That's all. Nobody's perfect in here. But we have to at least face those issues and we, we move forward. We look at Judas and we just assume he's a really wicked guy. He's got the devil in his heart. Well, what do you say about Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. You know, if Peter and Judas, a disciple of the Lord, could possibly find themselves being equated with Satan himself, I've got to wonder if we couldn't become tools in the hands of Satan. You know, I just wonder about that. And all I'm saying is we just need to think that stuff through. The love of money is the root of all evil. Let's be careful. We don't find ourselves coveting something or holding on to something that's not ours. And trying to. And then we find ourselves, like Judas probably, holding the bag really close because we don't want someone to catch us in a mess. When one betrays the Lord, it never turns out well. We learned that. Guilt was a part of what went down with, with Judas. He had a lot of guilt. By, by the way, let me, let me say this. I, I think it's important to understand something. Someone says, well, yeah, if I did what Judas did, I'd have a lot of guilt too. We have God living in us. Perfect, sinless God. Why is it that littler things don't cause us to feel guilt? Why is that? I was telling my wife tonight, I said, you know, we get on these stupid Google searches and I have to do a lot of this for this stuff. I'm thinking about trying to find a, a little CD disc that just has pictures on it because I can't stand getting on Google anymore because I'm running into a mess lately. Just trying to look up pictures. Can, can I tell you that if there's no guilt sometimes when we see things that we shouldn't see, you say, that's no big deal. You see it everywhere. You see it on the, the bulletin boards now. You see it on the commercials. You see it. We do. We get desensitized to things. Yeah. And it's not a big deal to us. And one day we wake up when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and we go, my goodness, I wasn't even thinking anything. That, that was no big deal at all. What happened to me? Let me tell you something. We look at Judas and say, that's a big deal. No wonder he felt guilty. No wonder he's struggling with remorse. No wonder he's having all those. We ought to be having those issues in our life on a regular, ongoing basis. I'm not saying we should live with guilt. I'm saying that when things in our life don't measure up to the Word of God and the standard of God, it ought to prick our heart. It ought to convict our soul. It ought to cause us to question ourselves and ask ourselves, man, I should probably do something differently. I ought to make a change in my life. I ought to repent of this. I ought to turn from it. It doesn't have to be big because if we'll do it when it's still small, we'll avoid the big problem. Whether it's our attitude, whether it's our actions, no matter what it is, I mean, we're going to the restaurant and we're starting to get snippy and, and snotty with the waitresses and the waiters and we're, we're starting to find ourselves kind of in this attitude of, well, you know, well, you work for me and, and I own you right now and when I leave here, you know, if I give you a good tip, you'll be lucky because, you, you know, you better treat me right. You better... What's wrong with that attitude? We're, we're Christians. We ought to care about people and, 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 and we ought to treat people with respect and we ought to, we ought to treat them, what, esteem them better than self. 
That ought to bother us when we walk out and after a few times that say, why am I acting this way? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why am I so demanding of people lately? You say, that's not a big deal. Compared to Judas, it's not. But as a child of God, it ought to be a big deal. Our testimony's on the line. His, His testimony's on the line. Guilt, remorse, and you know, sadly enough, even death. I mean, in his case, it caused him to end up dying. Isn't that horrible? The thought of that. And you know what? We see it all the time. How many people have you known that have turned their back on the Lord, got involved in some kind of drug addict, a drug addiction or some other issue, and before you know it, they die early? Oh, maybe they didn't go out and hang themselves, but in a sense, they killed themselves by their lifestyle. All because they, because they betrayed the Lord. All because they turned their back on the very one who turned his face to them and his grace to them. The love of money is still the root of all evil. When one betrays the Lord, it never turns out well. And finally, last but not least, remorse doesn't equal repentance. And again, we don't have a lot of time to go into all that, but you know, one can feel remorse for getting caught or the consequences of it that it produces, but still, that's, that's not necessarily repentance of sin. You know, you know, there's a difference. Um, I'm sure Judas was upset. And there was a part of Judas, I think, that genuinely was concerned that he had betrayed, as he said, uh, basically a just one or, or a man without guilt. But I also think he was very concerned that he had lost what could have been. And a lot of times, the truth is, is that we may have remorse over things that we've done, things that we've said, but have we genuinely repented? I mean, do we have a heart to turn away from that sin? Or is it just, man, I wish I wouldn't have got caught. And, you know, these consequences are killing me and I can't stand it and it's bumming me out. There's a difference. And Judas teaches us, obviously, that something was wrong. If the, you you got to believe that if he truly repented, I have a hard time believing he walked out and killed himself. I'd had, I have a hard time believing that. Now, I think he might have had a difficult time forgiving himself, but if he truly repented of it and recognized the fact that he had turned and he, he, he'd, have, he'd have thought to himself, wait a second, I really made a, a horrible issue here. And I, I mean, maybe he would have killed himself. I don't know, but... It just seems to me that repentance didn't take place here. As a matter of fact, we know it didn't because later on in the book of Revelation, we see him again. But the fact is, is, that, is that Judas, Judas, he had some remorse, but he didn't have repentance. What kind of, what, what do you got going in your life? You know, is it remorse or is it repentance? And, you know, sin is something that is easily received in our life and our cultures today. It's so acceptable. Uh, and we just have to be careful that we have the mind of Christ on it. Judas made the mistake of viewing his relationship with Jesus as an opportunity. It was an opportunity. As a result of that, he betrayed him in the end. An opportunity. I think Judas wanted to rule and reign with Jesus. I think he wanted to be BMOC, big man on campus. I think that he did. I think he followed the Lord trusting and hoping that Jesus being Messiah would ultimately take his place on the throne of David and he would go ahead and appoint his czars. 
and he'd be one of them. Maybe even be his right-hand man. I mean, he did, he did uh, was trusted with the bag. I mean, he had the treasure there, so God obviously trusted him, and he stayed close, and I, I think opportunity was what it was really more about. And then, of course, opportunity to defraud, ultimately get ahead personally. Wouldn't it be sad to think that somebody actually served in the ministry as a Sunday school teacher or a bus worker or possibly a... Um, not sure, or any other position in the church because they felt they could get something out of it? Wouldn't that be terrible? To think that I'm going to serve the Lord because this is a good opportunity to feel valuable as a person, to feel needed, to be loved, to be accepted. Wouldn't that be terrible? Judas shows us that he made the mistake of viewing his relationship with Jesus as an opportunity. You know, when we serve the Lord, it shouldn't be so that we can feel good about ourselves, so that we can have people that express their love and appreciation toward us, so that we can walk out of here feeling valuable and as though we rate We ought to do it just simply because of Him. And I just want to encourage you to think about some of the lessons we've learned from Judas. It goes on to say he miscalculated the high price of selling God out. It cost him greatly. cost him greatly. Those are just some things that we learn from Judas. And I trust that hopefully we learn them in a way that we can avoid some of the pitfalls that he did. I don't know that anybody in this room would ever betray the Lord like that, but then again, in our own way, if we're not careful, we can and very well could betray Him to some degree or another. May God help us not to do that. Father, we come to You. We ask, Lord, that You'd just be with us tonight. And again, we thank You, Father, for Your love and grace.